Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Alex Mayberry, and this is the season one wrap up discussion for Phantom Limb. With me here is my collaborator and uh, longtime pal, Matt Tracy. Hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> not much, man. It's good to talk to you. How are you doing tonight? I'm not bad. I am uh, I'm doing the family thing. It's a weekend. So, played with the kid all day and uh, just, you know, chilling tonight. Yeah, I hear you, man. That's pretty good. It's a good way to be. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we are here to just, I guess we're here to just kind of have a general discussion and reminisce a little bit over the end of Phantom Limb season one. Um, yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm totally stoked. I'm also yeah. stoked that uh, the editing is over. I bet you are, man. You, <laughs> you have been working so hard the last few months. Well, um, yeah, but see, the, the thing is, I got a chance to be creative for like a year because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, I was, I was ready for the, uh, the big push of the work, you know. What did we learn this time around? What are we going to do better next time? I mean, I know I have a mm. few things myself, but um, let me ask you first, in terms of the sound design, in terms of the editing flow, um, when we take our next crack at this for season two, um, what are you going to do differently? Oh man. Well, uh, that's a deep question that, that me and Ben have been talking about ever since we wrapped on season one. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think what it comes down to is, you know, there's always little things that you can do to improve the audio quality. You know, there were a couple of episodes that where mistakes were just made on my part, you know, and it's like looking back on it, there's no way to, <laughs> You know, it's it's just, it's recorded that way, so it's just like it's my fault. <laughs> like, can you, you know, can you think of any? Can you think of an example? Uh, like I, there was something <laughs> up with uh with Cheryl's mic, um when we were recording for Water Cooler Moment, and she was the reporter over and over again, and she was multiple reporters yeah. throughout that that mm -hmm. that episode, and uh -huh. um for whatever reason, and I I know why it happened is because at one point we had five people all recording at the same time, all in different rooms. Um, right, because of the, the COVID protocol. Well, we were trying to abide by COVID protocol, and so we had somebody uh -huh. in the control room, somebody in the isolation booth, somebody in the two people in the studio, and then one person in the piano room. We may have even had somebody in the bathroom. I can't remember. It was sort of set up in a crazy way like that, and so there was so much going on that I can understand why I missed it, I guess, in the moment. But, you know, that's just one of those little things where, you know, I could have taken an extra minute just to just to check and make sure that Cheryl's mic was configured correctly. And, um, you know, it was just a matter of, of just, you know, rushing, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we learned a lot specifically about directing these recording sessions. Something that Ben and I have talked a lot about is the possibility of incorporating music and sound design into the recording sessions yeah as opposed yeah. to doing it in post or doing it all in post um you know mm -hmm. one of the ideas that we've talked about is that we know that the music will be orchestrated and and you know made to sound a certain way after we record you know the dialogue and everything but mm -hmm. we also are thinking about putting a musician in a different room so that there's live music piping through the headphones while the actors are reading the scene, um, trying to incorporate sound design in the same way so that, you know, you can get into a flow as an actor and really get into the world while you're recording dialogue. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leaves the engineers, you know, not feeling like we have to keep anything that we record that day in terms of music or sound design, you know. Yeah. Um, we well, can I mean, change it later if we need to, but that it, it will give a, it will be our guide um, when we start to orchestrate it. Right. Well, and I mean, I, I'm really excited about that possibility and I, it's kind of ambitious, but I think we can probably pull it off. Um, oh, we can do it. We can do it. I'm, I'm excited in particular, you know, so, so during these recording sessions, my role is usually director. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I had to do a lot of voice acting this time around and that is not optimal. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to see if I can stay out. Of, I'm going to see if I can stay out of it next season. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I'm generally directing and I'm really excited to try and see if we can get the actors discovering some musical beats along with our live musicians, you know? Um, yeah. You and, I mean, you and Ben are both from my perspective anyway, really gifted musical improvisers. And I cannot wait to see the kind of stuff that you guys, you know, haven't you, you're, I mean, you're great at establishing these dramatic musical beats after the, you know, after the fact um, yeah. design, designing them long after the recording session. Sir, look along that bridge. Riders. How many would you say? Four. Maybe five. Are they? I don't know. We may just have to. I still don't know who fired first. Whether Kearns or Robeson got jumpy from their perch or if the Sioux had opened the engagement. But once the rifle shot shattered the still of the night, the shrill cries and the thundering hooves of their horses echoed through the canyon walls. That's one of those things <clears throat> that I. Actually, that's my background in in reality. You know, um, that's what I did for the local Shakespeare company in Richmond for Mm -hmm. about five years, something like that, four or five years. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's the it's the kind of thing where it's it's kind of difficult to describe because it would be like I would write a theme, right? Like something that, you know, an example would be the character of Imogen from Cymbeline, right? Right. you know, beautiful princess-like character, you know, and so I wrote this beautiful kind of feminine, beautiful theme, you know, for her. Uh-huh. And and then when it came time to do the scene, you know, I used that theme, but it was all broken up differently. The meter was different. The, the All the beats were different because I was following her performance. Right. Yeah. You know, and so that's kind of the thing that I'm interested in trying to do is like, just getting into a jam with these actors, um, you know, using little themes that we write beforehand, but kind of tailoring that in the moment in the studio. It's very exciting. I can't wait. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Um, so yeah, that's something, that's something we've uh, learned from season one and we're excited to incorporate some of those ideas in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Any other stuff you learned this season that you, are really excited to try or to improve next time around? I'm really excited about the possibility that season two is a serialized season. Um, right. As the, opposed to an anthology. Yeah. This and, time and around. The anthology is, is a really cool approach, but I will say it turns into just a huge amount of data and work. And, you know, it's like for every episode we have to create this unique world. Which, which is amazing and fun, but you have to do it seven times, you know, throughout the season. In and, very different environments. And often. very, yeah, no. you know, polar <laughs> polar opposite environments at times. And yeah. and so 
I'm really looking forward to the possibility that we will have more time to think and be creative because um, we will have to come up with one world and one world only. And I think that could really be interesting and, and it would free us up a lot because, you know, we can come up with, you know, the environment of one world as opposed to having to do it every two weeks. Yeah, that's going to be, yeah, that is going to take a lot of work off your shoulders. It's definitely, it's definitely going to let you front load some stuff this time around. Ah, it'd be so sweet. So what about you? If we could go back and, and change one thing, what would it be? Well, I mean, gosh, well, you know, I'm never quite happy with my writing. I'm never, I'm never all the way happy with it. Um, so I, you know, once again, my experience is more in theater. Um, and I've never really tried audio drama type stuff before. And, uh, and I think a lot of my writing shows that, um, I would, it really started hitting me during the editing process. You know, when you were sending me rough drafts of, Mm. um, of the episodes that I wrote, there was just stuff I wanted to cut, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I was doing was frankly boring because it was just too much. I think Mm. there, you know, too, too many long stretches of dialogue, um, that kind of stuff. I wasn't writing, I guess, dynamically. Yeah. You know, I was, I was writing, I I guess I was almost imagining a person speaking and acting and, um, you know, um, imagining, imagining them visually. I mean, um, right. And of course that, that component is completely missing from podcasting. So, um, I'm going to try in season two to keep it sharp be really conscious of pacing mm-hmm. in a way, you know, in a way that I w- wasn't the first time around. It's the kind of thing where, um, you know, I, I think trying to think of a great example, I think tethered is probably the best example is, you know, the way that Cheryl will write in a very dynamic way for a long time. So it's constantly up and down, up and down, you know, she's, yeah. you know, she got hit by the truck and then it calms down for a minute, but then she's on mm-hmm. the, on the gurney and then it, you know, and, and then she's in the ambulance and then all, it's constantly changing. And I think what that does is that it, it sets you in this frantic mood. And then when she does get to a, a monologue, let's say, for mm-hmm. the amazing Taylor Dawson, who portrayed Annie in Tethered. Yep. Yep. Um, so when Taylor does get a chance to deliver a one or two minute monologue, it really works because it's like this breath, you know, and then combined with what Ben did with music and things like that. I think there is a time and a place for a monologue in podcasts, in audio dramas, but it's just, you know, I think it has to be combined with the right amount of uh, pacing and whatnot. Well, yeah. And man, the music is so essential too. I mean, tethered is great and everything, but it would not have worked um, in this format anyway, without Ben's score. No, it was incredible. And um, yeah. that score went through a tremendous amount of work. I, I know firsthand that, you know, he wrote a lot of that music early on and it sounded very different from what the final result was. Right. Uh, so he, he really put it through its paces. And, and it, it, when it came out at the end, I thought it was just brilliant. Have I made the right choice? Who knows? I am here, tethered. Onward.
one breath at a time. Okay, so now that season one is over, looking back on those seven episodes, what's your favorite episode and why? It's a tough call, man. That mm. really is a tough call. I think I have to go with Tethered, I think. Oh, it's a close hell one. Hell yeah, dude. Oh my God. I pick it because it's the one that made me feel things more than any of the others. Um, okay, more, more than Cut to Make Whole. Well, okay, Cut Cut to Make Whole made me feel something more intensely, but what it made me feel was just revulsion and <laughs> some nausea and body horror. <laughs> and in that way, it was a very successful horror story. And probably, I mean, not probably, definitely, um, I guess better fitting for Phantom Limb season one in some ways. Yeah. You know, I'll say, I'll say that Tethered, when I read all the first drafts, um, Tethered was the one that in some ways bothered me the most. And I wasn't as happy with it because I kind of thought it didn't fit. Um, I kind of thought that it was not a horror episode at all. And of course, you know, you, you discussed in Cheryl's interview, um, Cheryl's reasons for, um, for writing the episode the way she did, you know, it's a true story and she did not want to, she did not want to deviate from the truth to, you know, to horror things up or to fit in a particular genre at all. Right. Um, and I am so glad that number one, Cheryl resisted my editorial suggestions. Um, I think the story is a lot more powerful as a true story. I guess Cheryl did make one little tweak in terms of um, where she left the episode. I think she changed the ending just a bit, um, not to change the facts of the matter, but just to um, to end to it at a it different in, place. Right? Yeah, to leave it in a place of more uncertainty, which really I think I don't know. When I listened to the episode. Um, I'm not convinced anymore that it's not a horror story. Um, your sound design, for one thing, um, and uh, your well, and Ben's well, also, sound design, and that's, that is 100% Ben, by the way. Yeah, that's right. That's a Ben episode. Yeah, so Ben's, Ben's sound episode. design and Ben's score, man, um, mm-hmm. is it's fantastic. It's so good. There's um, one part of it um, about the she's talking about light, you know, and the it's at the towards the end, and she's talking about her connection with light. And, um, and God, the music right there is just insane sounding. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that's been at his finest. It's not like they say, like seeing a light. It's that everything is light. Light of all colors, bright beyond description and not blinding in any way. Light in and through and as everything, enlightening all that is. Well, you know, I have a soft spot for any story that really considers mortality. You know, Cheryl writes about facing her own death, essentially, um, and facing the More breakdown than of her body. More yeah. than once. Yeah. More than once. And it's fantastic. And then, and then add to that the, the horror of navigating our healthcare system, which is a real world horror that we all have to sort of deal with. That was interesting um, in, her, in her writer's interview. Um, I asked her that question. I think I said, mm-hmm. has your opinion of the healthcare system changed? And she was like, no, definitely not. You know, mm-hmm. and it was just like, it was, there was no question. I mean, which is sad, but it's just, it, it's true, you know, and, that, and that's the, 
it, it all feeds into the fact that it's a true story and that she went through that and you know for 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 everyone like her you know there's probably a hundred other people in the hospital that day that were going through something similar and you know and it's just sad that that's somebody who has spent so much time in the healthcare system that that's their opinion of it you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like i said real world horror How about you? I think I know which one it is, but what's your, what's your favorite episode, Matt? Oh, uh, well, I mean, it's guide on. It's got, oh, yeah, it's, it's gotta be guide on. Right. Oh my God, dude. It, I mean, first of all, Jack Mooney, you know, applause, uh-huh. applause for Jack Mooney. He's, he's a genius. Uh-huh. And yeah, you this know, is my first time working with him. I'm really happy that he's on board for season two as well. It's going to be great. Oh, me yeah. too, man. And this is, I mean, on the flip side, this is my like 600th time working with him, you know, and, um, reading his scripts is is so such a a pleasure because he is so detailed with his stage direction and things like that that Mm -hmm. he chooses these moments we talked about this in his interview a little bit but he chooses these moments to um provide very detailed uh sound design recommendations you know and um Mm -hmm. things like that but he also steps back at very important moments you know and a perfect example is the end of Gaidon. Um, you know, throughout that episode, he had a lot of like really intricate sound design stuff where like, you know, the footsteps come in this way, the door opens, mm-hmm. the footsteps mm-hmm. go over here, something else happens, the footsteps leave the room, the door closes, you know, it was all very, you know, orchestrated. And but then there were other moments where like at the very end of Gaidon, when the uh when the mythical creature is attacking didn't say anything it just said music and Mm. and so you know that that ben and i looked at that and we're like wow what does that mean you know and we're listening to like what it sounded like with the monster voice and everything and we're like what are we gonna do with this one of these arrows that's the only way you're going to kill it the cabin was quickly being consumed in a matter of minutes there would be nothing left inside and there would soon be no one left alive inside. I raised my hands in front of my face and pushed past the heat. The smoke was a swamp around my eyes and nose, but my blinded groping found the target. I closed my hand around the arrows and threw myself outside and staggered to my feet. Foyle was backing away from it now. I could see his sword sticking out of the creature's chest. But it continued its march, indifferent to the weapon or the man who wielded it. I clutched the arrows in my hand, and I ran. As fast as I could, with the smoke in my lungs and the stings of pain still racing over me, its arm raised to strike once again, and I hurled myself against it. Feel of its skin against my own. The scales, sharp as thorns, that bit into my arms and face. Blood ran into my eyes, and its shrieks rattled in my ears. I raised the arrows, and with every ounce of strength, I sank them into the creature. We ended up just doing the sort of soundscape of percussive 
instruments, you know, um, going for yeah. like a Sioux sort of Native American vibe. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that worked pretty well. But it's just an example of Jack and, you know, you know, his ability to choose moments to be a director and then to choose moments to step back and let other people come up with ideas. You know, I think he's very good at that. Along with all of like the little reasons that I like the story, it you know, I also just like the fact that it's a Western, you know, and, and it is so it's so recognizable. I, th- I think that's one of the things that Jack brought to the table with both of his episodes is that you really can identify what they are. You know, like one is set in the, you know, TV broadcast universe and the other is a Western. You know, they're, they're just very easy to pin down what they are. But then there always seems to be a little twist to what he's doing. And in Gaidon, I love the fact that the monster's real at the end. That's just awesome. Yeah, the fake out is great. The fake out is awesome. Well, the fake yeah. out, you know, I mean, what's one of those things that I've always appreciated is I, I hate when a writer or director or whatever, you know, screenwriter will come up with a cool concept and then not follow through on it on purpose and mm-hmm. just like end the movie or whatever it is. Um, right. you know, I, I would much rather watch something like Cloverfield, you know, even though it's not a super good movie, at least they reveal a monster at the end and, <laughs> and it, and it destroys everybody. Like, come on, that's it awesome. Destroy you a know? Lot of yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, that's what I liked about Gaidon was like for a while you kind of, as you're reading it for the first time, you think, uh, he's going to cop out. He, you know, he's going to cop out. He's not going to actually do a monster. And then at the end. He does a monster, you know. He it's does awesome. A yeah. Let's think back. You know, we had a lot of recording sessions, a lot of editing sessions via Zoom and things like that. Been mm-hmm. been in each other's ear for the last year and a half, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> yeah. Um what is like what's like the funniest, like most random moment that you will remember from season one? that sticks from, in sticks in the, your mind just like in the just, studio or whatever yeah just from the whole process yeah so we originally we cast dale leopold as the narrator in the beep um and then we you know we were wrapping up his recording session and he had read you know he had read all through the the script and everything and i don't remember whose idea it was but he wanted to take a crack at the alien from the end um and i had cast someone else i think i was just going to do it actually um um, but you know, he was there and he was a talented guy. And I was imagining, my God, I was imagining this, this sort of somber, majestic 10 foot tall being, I don't know. Um, and he just did this. He did this Marvin, the Martian, like <laughs> welcome to earth. Do not be afraid person of earth. Long have we watched you from afar. And now we have reached the frigid space between universes to bring peace unity a new technology to wait wait and it just it slayed me and i i don't i don't think i've laughed that hard since um and maybe not for years leading up to that i just about man i was in spasms it was amazing thanks for listening everyone that's the end of part one to hear the rest of this discussion you can head right now to buymeacoffee.com slash phantom limb For just $5, you get access not only to the rest of this interview, but to the Season 1 soundtrack, as well as exclusive talks with the writers of each episode.
Your financial support helps us do what we do and brings us closer to releasing Season 2. You can also help us by following and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you for listening. Have a good one.